Well, as uh, you all know, one of the best parts of Christmas is the lights, right? We love the lights. We love the lights on the Christmas tree. We love the candles. Love the candles sitting in the windows. Love the fire in the fireplace, these kinds of things. We love the light. Something magical about light at the time of Christmas. Uh, One of the best parts of the Christmas Eve services, we come together and we sing Silent Night towards the end of the service and we take those candles and we light them up and sing them together. And in that song, Silent Night, we sing Silent Night Holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Yes. Silent night, holy night, son of God, loves pure light. Radiant beams from your holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Uh, So light at the time of Christmas. And of course, as Christmas comes in, so also winter comes in and winter is full of darkness. And so we, we, uh, we enjoy the light amidst all of this cold and darkness. Uh, we know that there's something about that light that gives us peace. And this morning, we'll seek to understand why light gives us some element of peace amidst the darkness. John says in John chapter 1, verse 9, says of Jesus that he was, quote, the true light, which gives light to everyone that was coming into the world. And that's what happened at Christmas, right? When Christ was born, light was coming into the world. And we see that light in the various stories of the Christmas account, right? The light of glory flooded the shepherds as the angels sang. The magi came from the east following the light of the star. Simeon looked at the baby Jesus and said that he was a light of revelation to the nations. Zechariah prophesied that his child, that his child John the Baptist would be a foreigner that would give light to those who sit in darkness. Christmas is about light because it is about the light, Jesus the Christ. And this morning we read and we'll meditate on the second of the I am statements there in John chapter 8, verse 12. John 8, verse 12. You can find your Bibles right in front of you. If you don't have one, you'll be wanting to look at that as we work through this passage. John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So during this Advent series that we, what we're doing is we're endeavoring to define the Jesus of Christmas in order to compel us to then follow him throughout the year. So not as an accessory to our lives, but as the substance to our lives. And last week we considered Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger or thirst, but have everlasting life. And there we said that Jesus, when he said that he's the bread of life, is the nourishment He is the sustenance of not only eternal existence, but eternal life-giving love that is seen and bound up in the Trinity. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to see how the bread fuels the candle. How the bread fuels the candle. How the life of Christ fuels the light of Christ. John 1.4 says, In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And so Jesus is life and Jesus is light. And his life fuels the light of men here in the darkness of the world. So let's see how that's the case by considering this statement of Jesus when he said, I am the light of the world. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that statement is not immediately obvious as to what it means. It sounds good. We like it. I am the light of the world sort of warms us, but we're not sure exactly what Jesus means. Now, friends, think about what light does. What does light do? 
reveals, right? It exposes, it manifests. If we were to turn the lights off, right, it'd be harder to see. And we turn the lights on, easier to see. That's what light does. Imagine again sitting in a dark room where you can't see your hand in front of your face. You're not sure maybe where you are. When you're sitting in that room of darkness and you can't see, you don't know where you are, what is it you want? You want light. And the second you strike the match and light the candle and light throw and that candle throws its light upon the room, you're immediately oriented to reality. That's what light does. It orients us. It exposes. It reveals. Matthew 5, 15 and 16, Jesus says there, people don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it throws its light on the whole house. And he goes on to say, so in the same way, let, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So light reveals. Light eclipses the darkness by exposing or uh, revealing that which is true, that which is real. And so this is who Jesus is claiming to be when he says he's the light of the world. He's saying he's the light. He's the one that reveals. He's the one that manifests. He's the one that helps us see. We can think back even to the beginning of the Bible, can't we? The story of the world. The Lord does not say, let there be darkness, right? Darkness was already there, indicating the kind of formlessness, the chaos that was happening. But it was on that first day when God said, let there be light, right? Light. So the first thing needed to move the world from chaos to order, from meaninglessness to meaningfulness, from formlessness to formfulness, the first thing that was needed was light. So as to bring about order. When we wake up in the morning, in these cold winter dark mornings, Right? The first thing we want, the first thing we need is to turn on the light, to see, to orient us. Jesus is the light. Jesus reveals. But we ask the next question, don't we? Well, what exactly does he say he revealed? What, when he says he's the light of the world, what is it he's revealing? What is, it he, what is it he's manifesting? Well, the answer is that Jesus reveals God to us in the world. He reveals God to us in the world. So on Christmas, he's called Emmanuel, right? God with us. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. What glory? Well, glory as of the only son from the father. He's revealing God to us. And we know that this is what Jesus means when he says he's the light of the world, namely that he reveals God to us, because in the very next sentence, you'll see that the people of whom Jesus is speaking to begin to challenge him in this identity. They understand that he seems to be making a claim about being God. And there's this lengthy back and forth that terminates later in John 8 and verse 57 and 59. And it says there, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You see, friends, for Jesus to claim that he existed before Abraham as a somewhat 31, 32, 33-year-old man, because he was I am, that was for Jesus to say that he was God himself. That's why they picked up stones to throw at him. Because they understood him to be speaking blasphemy. That he deserved death by saying that he was I am, that he was before Abraham. So God revealed himself, we know, to Moses. We thought about this last week in the burning bush. 
And Moses asked, what's the name of God? And God says, I am who I am. That's that name behind the word Lord. Jesus is saying, that's me. I am. Later, Jesus will say in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Jesus says in John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So friends, Jesus reveals or lights up God to the world. That's why he can say that he is the light of the world. Because he exposes, he manifests, he reveals God in the world. So when we see Jesus, friends, we're seeing God in the flesh. Hebrews 1.3, we thought about this last Christmas, didn't we? Uh, Hebrews 1.3 makes this so clear. Referencing Christ, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So friends, there is no God in heaven that is not like the Jesus on the earth. Because God the Father sends God the Son to expose the world to who God is. In other words, when Jesus came, God moved into the world. And by the way, it's important to note again, as we did last week, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's important to note he didn't become the light of the world. He didn't earn being the light of the world. He simply is the light of the world because he is God in the flesh. Jesus is claiming that he has always been light. He has always been emanating, always been manifesting, always been exposing, revealing God because, of course, he is God to deny this is to deny what Jesus is saying he is in his essence. It's to deny who he actually is. He is light and always has been. And he is now, uh, in this account here, in the world, showing God to us. But now for the next question. Why does God need to move in? He is light, that means he reveals. Secondly, he reveals God to us. But why did God come to to the world? Why did he need to light up the world? Why did he need to expose the world to himself? Why does God need to light up the world by exposing himself to the world? Well, the answer to that is very clear because we live in darkness. We live in darkness. That's why. John 1 5 says, The light, who is Christ, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it goes on to say in verse 9, The, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So Jesus is the light that came from heaven in order to expose God to us who have lost sight of him here in the darkness of the world. Amazingly, right after that, in John 1, 10 and 11, it says of Jesus, he was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Guys, can you imagine having a family, leaving and then coming home and your own children don't know you or claim you, don't even recognize you and reject you? That family, right, would be darkness in so many ways. Well, this is the world that we live in. In our sin, we have forgotten God. We have rejected him. Therefore, we, as a consequence, have rejected the light. And as a consequence, we live in the darkness. And we ask why. Why is it we have forgotten God? Why is it we have rejected him. Well, Jesus tells us very clearly. Under cover of darkness, in John chapter 3, Jesus speaks to an Israelite teacher named Nicodemus. John, Jesus says to him in John 3.19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. 
So we've, we've forgotten God. We've run from the light. Because, why? Because we love the darkness. We love it. We love not knowing and enjoying God. We have fallen so deeply in love with ourselves that we don't even recognize the one that made us and loved us. When he comes in the door, as it were, like the father coming to his family, we don't want him to be there. We love being apart from him. We have fallen so deeply in love with ourselves, we don't even recognize the God that made us. It's gotten so bad that we've grown to love the darkness. Like a, like a drug addict loves the cocaine that is destroying him. So in the same way, we don't even recognize God and we like the fact that we don't want him around. We love the darkness. We love our rebellion. And again, to be clear, that darkness means the being darkened from the knowledge and the character of God. We have the, we are darkened from the knowledge and the character, the lifestyle of who God is. We don't see it. We don't recognize it. We don't want it. The basic nature of mankind, the Bible teaches us straightforwardly, friends. The basic nature of mankind is not good, but bad. Because we are blind to the character of God. We are cut apart from him. It's true that we're not as bad as we could be. That's the grace of God. But we are basically, apart from Christ, bad, not basically good. Ephesians 2 makes this so clear. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. We walk in that sin. In other words, we live in it. And we follow the prince of the power of the air. We follow Satan. In other words, this passage, Scripture makes straightforward. There's either light, there's dark. There's two ways. You're in one of the two. And Scripture says, apart from Christ, we are in that darkness. We love that darkness. And apart from Christ, we're dead to sin. We walk in the sin. We follow Satan, not the Savior. That's the basic nature of the heart of man. We live in the passions of our flesh. In other words, we just do whatever it is our heart wants to do apart from Christ. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And again, and are by nature, Ephesians 2, 3, by nature, children of wrath. Humanity lives in darkness because we have rejected. We do not know God. We do not want to know God. This is why none of us, friends, for instance, all those of you with kids are learning this, right? As you have children, you come into the world, you know, none of you had to be taught how to lie, cheat, steal, or be selfish. Nobody had to teach you that, right? And on the other hand, We do, and you did. Your parents had to teach you time and again how to be selfless, how to be servant-hearted, how to be lovely, time and again. And it was hard, and it still is hard. Why? Because the basic nature of the heart of man is to be selfish, not to be selfless as God is. We prefer the darkness. Jesus says again, we love the darkness. The strong majority of the world is not interested in the light of Christ because they are more interested in following themselves there in the darkness. And there are many that might even claim Christ, but they don't want to actually follow Jesus. They want to just still live out the passions of their flesh. And as a consequence, the darkness pervades the earth. Ephesians 6.12 says we live in this present darkness. Our hearts are ignorant and disinterested in our maker and our sustainer. We live in a cave with no light and we like it. This explains so much of the brokenness of our world, doesn't it? And if you're not convinced, friend, of that biblical argument that we live in darkness, I'll simply present to you the daily newspaper as evidence. Just open up today's Washington Post or the next days or the next days or the next days, and every day you'll see more and more darkness. You'll see more and more brokenness. And as you do that, friend, don't forget that news outlets are interested in making money. 
That's their main job. They're interested in making money. They don't make money, they close the newspaper. All right? And the reason why that's important, because they know that if it bleeds, it what? Bleeds, right? So the Post, Washington Post, knows that it will sell more papers by telling you more dark news, which proves Jesus' words, that we love the darkness. We love participating in it, love reading about it. Every day we hear these tragic stories, don't we? The poor and the horn of Africa drinking dirty water, contracting cholera and dying. Darkness. Power-hungry leaders in North Korea and Nigeria attacking neighboring nations and people groups. Darkness. We've seen this week in our city, as we have for weeks now, gun violence everywhere. Darkness. Someone stealing from another. Someone cheating on a spouse. Someone demeans another because of how they look. Hurricanes, earthquakes, wars, birth defects. Darkness, darkness, darkness. Million dollar movies and TV shows with gifted actors, beautiful cinematography, and compelling music subversively playing upon your emotions without you even knowing it to get you to approve that evil is good and good is evil. Darkness. Deceitful schemes everywhere. Darkness pervades. And as if all of this isn't enough, right? we look in our own hearts and what do we find? Right? We can be prideful. We can be mean-spirited. We can be spiteful. We can be lazy. We can be selfish. We can be greedy, just to name a few things. Friends, it's hard to argue with the Bible's claim that the world is full of darkness. And this is one of the many reasons I increasingly my uh, intellect and my life is increasingly convinced of the authority of Scripture because of things like this, because it carefully and accurately describes the very same world that I live in in ways that other holy books do not. The Bible is dripping with doctrine and delight that could only come from the hand of a divine author. But this is why Jesus came, friends. The world is full of darkness. We can't see. We need light. We so easily follow the different winds of doctrine that blow us to and fro, and yet they never lead us to the celestial shores of of light, do they? We keep following all these different places, and we keep landing on these shores hoping to find light, and they don't get us there. We keep buying things, thinking it will make us happy, and they don't. We keep hoping in a new relationship, and it never comes. We keep following our sexual passions because that's what we've been told to meet our true self, but it never works. We keep waiting on the next vacation, and it comes, and it's great. But then we come back, and we look for another one, hoping the next one will satisfy us. We think that moving to new cities or new churches or new friend groups, somehow those things will satisfy the darkness within us. And as soon as we do, we just keep finding darkness everywhere. And all of this against the backdrop of a world that seems to be getting more confusing, more polarizing, more violent, more hopeless, more dark. Friends, the more that we reject God and go our own way, the more we don't know who we are or where we're going. I was so struck by this comment and studying for this passage this week. Jesus says in John 12, 35, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. Doesn't that describe so much of our hopelessness? Doesn't that describe so much of our loneliness, of our sadness? Those that live in that darkness, they don't know where they're going. So they're just sad. We need light. And that's not, that's 
not only what Jesus does give life, but it's who Jesus is. He is, as he says, the light of the world. He exposes or manifests or reveals the truth about God to a world that is darkened from a knowledge of him. So that we might know who we are and where we're going. And so, friend, that fear that you have, that depression you may be experiencing, that anxiety you keep having to battle, all of those are forms of darkness. And you need the light of Christ to reorient you to the path that leads you home. And that's what Jesus does because that's who Jesus is. He turns the light on and shows you the truth so that you can know where to go and have peace in that. And all of those darkened thoughts will go away in the light of his sovereign grace. You remember that time maybe when you were sleeping and in the middle of the night, something you heard woke you up. And in the darkness, you looked over to the doorway and you saw a figure walk by. And you were scared to death. You didn't know who it was. and You, you were a little disoriented. You were scared. Until your roommate turned the light off and went, turned the light on and went into the bathroom. Calming you through the night. That's what Jesus does. He turns the light on. Quiets the fears. He orients you to where you are and where you're going. Jesus is the light of God that puts your fears to rest. That's why he came to lead us into the truth about God, to lead us into the good life, the life that we were designed to live, to turn the lights on for all of us seeing unknown figures walking around in the dark of our lives. Jesus reveals God to a darkened world so that we might have that peace that we were intended to have. This is why the angel said to the saying to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus is our destiny. He's the good life. This is why Jesus changed the world. This is why I got saved when I was 19 years old because of this reality. I was so compelled by Jesus the Christ that evidently and unequivocally changed the world. You cannot do history without looking at Jesus because he's light in ways that nobody else is. If you're not believing that, or maybe you need a little bit of help to think about this light amidst the darkness of Christ, can I just share with you a few stories about my Savior? I'll tell you one story. When he met a man by the name of Legion. Legion had a demon living within him. He literally lived in a graveyard, lived around death and darkness. Legion was so strong that change couldn't bind him. He was so sick that he would scream out loud and cut himself. If ever there was a man that was entrenched in darkness, it was this guy. And the second that he saw Jesus, he ran to him, ran to him, and he called him Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. And since the light is greater than the darkness, Jesus commanded the darkness of the demon to come out of him, and it did. And he came into his right mind. So compelled by Jesus, the man wanted to never leave him. He wanted to keep following the light. But Jesus told him to leave the deadness of the graveyard and go out into the world and tell the world what God had done for him. In other words, what Jesus said is he had lit up like we do at Christmas Eve. He'd lit up a candle in him. And Jesus says, now go and tell others about this light. Light others up. And he did. That's exactly what he did. He was, Jesus was light in that darkened place. There was a woman, second story here, who had been bleeding for some 12 years. She spent literally her entire life savings after doctor after doctor to try to heal her, and nothing seemed to work. 
until the day she saw Jesus. She came to the light. She, she came to him trusting. She came to him in faith. And she reaches out and she touches him. And immediately the blood stopped. And Jesus said to her that it was your faith that saved you, your faith that healed you. Jesus was light to that woman's darkness. Just after that moment, he visited a home where there was a sick little girl. And the girl had just died. Again, darkness, pervasive darkness. A little girl died. The light of the world descended upon the door of that little girl. And though she was dead, he took her hand. And he said to her, he looked her in the eyes and said to her, and he said, little girl, rise. She rose. Light from the darkness. There was once a man by the name of Saul who hated the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was committed to Judaism. He, he didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God who come to take away the sins of the world on the cross and in the resurrection. He hated this guy. Saul hated the gospel so much that he went door to door persecuting Christians. I mean, again, darkness. Of the highest order. Of all the people in the world though. It was him that Jesus met. Saul would later save himself. I was the worst of sinners. And on his way. To persecute more Christians. Saul was enraptured by what? Light. Jesus himself spoke to him. Blinding him. So bright was the light. And a voice came from the resurrected and ascended Jesus. That asked him. Why do you persecute me? Friend you mess with Jesus' church. You mess with him. And instead of judging him, which Jesus could have done in that moment, the Lord Jesus turned the greatest persecutor of the church into the greatest evangelist for the gospel. He showed him mercy. He gave Saul a new life. He even gave him a new name. The name of Paul. Paul who would go on to write 13 of the 27 New Testament books. He would go on to plant tons of churches. Plant churches which are communities of light all over the world. He did that to this man that was enraptured with darkness. Guys, I could tell you a hundred more of these stories. There are more stories about Christ being light and darkness than there are pages in the books of the Library of Congress. I could go on for like this for hours, telling stories about Christ being the light in the darkness. One more. I mentioned earlier that John wrote in John 1, the true light gives life, gives light to everyone was coming into the world, that he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Again, darkness. And yet that didn't stop Jesus from not only moving in, but not leaving them. He stayed. He didn't move out, even though they didn't receive him. He would teach, Jesus would, day after day, out in the open. He would tell them the truth. He would tell them uh, about the Bible. He would teach the Bible regularly. And he would also not just teach it, but he would live the truth. He taught the light and lived the light. He cared for the poor. He cared for the weak and the outcast. He was light to all those that are in darkness. Until one day when the religious zealots were threatened by Jesus' following, they wanted him out of the way so that they could enjoy the praise of the people for themselves. So in the name of God, they wanted to punish the Son of God. Again, more darkness. And so they accused him of being nothing more than who he claimed to be, the king of the Jews, God in the flesh. And so they took him, they took Jesus, these uh, wicked leaders did, they took him and had this mock trial where they gave false accusation after false accusation, lie after lie, but none of it stuck. Jesus was above all of those lies. The only thing that stuck was the claim that he made for himself, that he was God in the flesh. 
And so because he claimed to be the light of the world, the bread of life, because he claimed to be the son of man, the son of God, the leaders condemned him. They took him to Roman authorities, said that he was claiming to be a king. And eventually, by the will of the people, they condemned him to death after whipping him and beating him. And amazingly, throughout all of this, friends, he didn't utter a single word. Like a lamb being sled to the slaughter. Not a single word to the amazement of all. They took him and nailed his hands and his feet to a cross alongside two criminals. From the cross, Jesus prayed to his father that his accusers would be forgiven because they live in darkness. They didn't know what they were doing. They were blind. And it was there from the cross as Jesus hung amidst that darkness. The text of scripture says that in the middle of the day, in the land, the sun went dark for three hours. The sinless son of God hanging from the cross was the darkest moment in the history of the world because it was picturing that man hated God so that much they wanted to murder him. Friends, that's an image of all of us. In the base of us, that's what we want. But there, Jesus Christ, the innocent, he hung. There we see, when we see Christ on the cross, there we see him becoming darkness for all of us who love the darkness and live in the darkness. Jesus becoming darkness so that we who love the darkness might come to live and love the light. That's why he was there. Learn to hate the darkness. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin, so that we who come to him in faith might come to have eternal life and light in Christ. Paul would later write of saying that he was an ambassador of Christ. He would later say in Acts 26, 18 of this gospel, he would say that, that this happened so that they, so that we, may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That why? That they, that we may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, in Christ. And Jesus is the light of the world. He reveals God to us who live and love the darkness. In Christ, we who believe can see the radiance of the glory of God. We can see the exact imprint of God's nature. We can see how we are not him, how our sin has separated us from him. But in Christ, we can see the love of God. There he hangs on the cross, paying for all of those moments at which we have loved the darkness. That we did nothing to deserve it. But there, friends, is a call to this gospel. There is a call to this uh, response. The light of Christ doesn't come to all. In fact, Jesus says most will go on loving the darkness. But there will be a few of whom God will do as he did in the beginning. There'll be a few that God will say to them, let there be light in the darkened heart of man. We learned this in 2 Corinthians 4. God says to hearts of men that love the darkness, let there be light. To do what? To give them what is called the light. I love this. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. To give them the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? Where's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God? In the face of Christ. Look again at that passage in John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have, have, have the light of light. So some of you may be asking, 
Well, Nathan, how, how can I get God to give me the light of the knowledge of the glory of God? How can I get God to turn the light on in my heart? How does that happen? If I can't do enough good works, I can't go to enough church enough, can't, you know, give enough money. How can I get God to turn the light on? How might God grant or gift me the eyes to see the light of Christ since I do love the darkness? How does that happen? Friend, you do the same thing the blind man did to Jesus. Who lived himself in darkness. You call out to Christ, the son of David. And ask him to give you eyes to see. You pray. That's what you do. You pray. And when you pray, you tell him that you agree with him. That you have loved the darkness. That you have gone your own way. That you have hated God. You have disobeyed his good and gracious commands. And you tell him you need the light. Ask him to grant you sight then of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. Ask him to fill your heart with the light of Christ's life as you trust him to pay for your darkness on the cross by his death. And be confident when you go to him in prayer, acknowledging your sin, trusting in Christ to make your payment. Have confidence that he will forgive you, that he will turn the lights on, that he will help you see Christ and savor him and follow him wherever he may lead you. And then from that sight, as God sort of turns the lights on in your heart, then friend, from that light, from the power of that light, follow him. From the light, so live as a child of light. This is what Jesus says here. Whoever, whoever it is, whoever follows me will not, will not walk or live in darkness. Notice the words here, but will have, circle that, but will have the light of life. In other words, if you have Christ, you don't go in the darkness anymore. And if you do, you repent from it and you get back in the light. And that light that you have in Christ, you have it. It's yours. There's a sense in which Christians are different from the world. They don't love the darkness. They call evil, evil and good, good. And they follow Jesus no matter what the world may tell them. Because they have the light of Christ. Paul will later write in 1 Thessalonians 5, of those that have come to trust in Christ. He says, but you are not darkness. Notice he's talking about your identity. You are not darkness, brothers, sisters, for you are children of light. You are children of light. In Ephesians 5, 8, Paul writes, for at one time you were darkness, but now you, there are the words, circle it, you are light in the Lord. So therefore walk as children of the light. So again, so if you're looking for more clarity, all right, Nathan, if you need some more clarity about what light is, just read that very next verse, Ephesians 5, 9. Walk as children of the light, Ephesians 5, 9, next verse. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. There it is. That's how you know if you're walking in the light, is you're approving and walking in all that is good, right, and true. Fleeing from the darkness, running to the light of Christ, trusting him for the light of forgiveness, walking in the light as he is in the light, following his good and gracious commands, approving and walking in all that is good, right, and true. And you say, well, Nathan, can you, more clarity, I know I keep asking this question, can you answer me, what is good, right, and true? Jesus is. Jesus is all that is good, right, and true. He is the definition, because remember, he's God in the flesh. He reveals God to us. That's why we pay attention to his voice and to his word. And so not from your own strength, beloved. Not from your own strength. Not from your own strength. From his strength. 
from his light working in you, his light working in us, the church, the community of light. Go and live as the light. Compel the world by believing and living out all that is good and right and true. Not letting the world define what is good, right, and true, but defining, but letting Christ, who is the light, define what is good, right, and true. And then we come together as the church. We strengthen each other. We hear the word and we go out casting those candles out to the world that they might come to see Christ in us. Jesus says in Matthew 5, I read this earlier, I'll read it again. You are, once again, circle that word. Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Friends, just as it wasn't enough for Jesus to just say he believed the truth, Jesus also, if he was going to be God in the flesh, he needed to live the truth. If he was going to be light. So it is for all of us that say we believe. You cannot merely say you believe that you are light, but you must also demonstrate that you have that light by showing Christ to the world and your attitudes and actions and commitments. Christ is the light of the world and his church is now set aside from the world to show off God in the same way that Jesus did. That's our work as the church, right? Is to preach this, preach what is good, right, and true to then also take those and mark off people that are claiming to be light, right? By That's what we do in membership. And then we gather around the table of the Lord's Supper and we feast upon the light of Christ. And then from this gathering, we then go back out into the world. Again, scattering that light, doing good works, calling people to believe on Jesus. Since we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, to push back the darkness. And friends, for the last 2,000 years, that's exactly what the church has been doing in every nation, tribe, and tongue. Yes, it's true. If you're a skeptic here, like, come on, Nathan, seriously? How much bad has the church done? Yes, no doubt. There are churches and people that take the name of Christ that are darkness. But 1 John 1, 6 makes clear, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. There's plenty of churches that are taking the name of Christ, Christ, that lie. They're actually darkness. And the Lord knew this. He knew He knew there would be hypocrisy. But the reality is, friends, the light of Christ amongst his people, amongst his church, has been casting light into the world for two millennia. God has been casting his light into the world through the work of the church, by the power of Christ, for the glory of Christ. Let us be reminded that it was gospel-loving people full of the light of Christ that were among the first to start universities so as to educate people. That it was uh, Christians that were full of the light of Christ that started hospitals so as to tend to the sick. It was Christians that were the greatest advance in science and technology, driven by and driven for the light of Christ. It was Christians that led to destroy the slave trade. It is Christians today that are the most generous financially and physically supporting humanitarian efforts all over the world. Christians far and wide. It is Christians today that adopt more children and foster more children than anybody else. You're not going to read about that in the New York Times. But it's true. Christ, working through the light of his people, has been doing all of these amazing things to testify that there is light amidst this darkened world. 
And in particular, it is Christians gathered together in what is often small and otherwise insignificant communities known as local churches that do this out of sight from the world. It happens every single week. It happens every week in this church. Doing all of these little bits of light that most of the world doesn't see, but yet heartens people. The light of the light of Christ here in the local church, there have been many in this church week to week that care for children. It is the work of the church to facilitate marriages, to bury the dead, honor them. Local churches basking in the glow of the gospel every day, giving rides to those who had surgery, providing child care. Every week, the work of the church, weeping with those that weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, sharing meals to those that have need, donating huge portions of their time and their money and their talents to care for needs. The work of the church, counseling people that are going through hard times, providing a place of belonging. Giving them a place where they can be seen and known and loved. That happens every week in gospel-loving churches, out of sight from the world, bringing light to a world of darkness and happening amongst a community like this one of rich and poor, black and white, men and women, young and old, and us as the light of Christ, even being, being willing to do these things for people that don't take the name of Jesus because we want to love them as Christ loved us. Again, all of this happening every single week under the ministry of the word, under prayer and the Lord's strength and for the Lord's glory, all over the earth in congregations big and small, communities of light in the world. Friends, there are no institution like the church. Nothing like it. If you want to know light, you'll get wrapped up in this messed up little community called Restoration Church or any other gospel-believing church. This is where light can be found. The people that are trying to give themselves to the Jesus who says he is light. The church believes and is committed to this reality that Jesus is the light of the world and by following him, not only do we have light here in the darkness of the world, but as opposed to those who live in the darkness, we come together week after week to be reminded we know where we're going. Right? Remember what we said. Those that live in the darkness out there, one of the reasons they're so lonely and depressed is because they don't know where they're going. And we come together every week. And what do we sing every week here? We talk about having a lot, don't we? Why? Because we need to be reminded where we're going. We have a home. We know where we're going. We know who loves us and who's for us. Therefore, we don't lose hope here in the church. We remain steadfast. We are committed to the work of the gospel. We know that our work, whatever it is, small and insignificant, out of sight of the world, we know it's not in vain. We keep going. Because we one day we will rejoice when we get home. And we get to see the light of Christ. We see it by faith now. But we will see it physically then. Revelation 21, 24 says that the nations will walk how? By the light of Christ. No need of sun nor moon in the new Jerusalem. Just Jesus, the light of the world, shining brightly. We will walk in it forevermore. Jesus is the light of not only this world, friends, he is the light of the world to come. So if you are in the darkness, friend, you are not knowing where you are going, if you are running from God, come to the light of Christ. And for those of you that have the light and are walking in the light, beloved, let your light so shine before others this Christmas. Let them see your good works, that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Knowing, believing, beloved, that the true light has come into the world, that he will come again. And he is shining through the work of his people today. So my reminder for you to help you remember this. Now, this Christmas season, every time you see a candle, 
Every time you see a light, every time you see fire, I want you to remember this claim of Jesus, your Savior. Remember, let those be pointers to the reality that Jesus is the light in this darkened world. And soon enough, you will see him face to face. And you will be glad that you gave your all to him and to his people. Let that be an encouragement to you. Jesus is the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son. We agree that we do live in so much darkness, not only out there, but in here. We agree that sometimes we are disheartened, fearful, sad, lonely. But oh, the joy to know that Jesus turns the light on. He's the one of whom we look to, to orient us to the truth, orient us to reality. God, forgive us for the ways in which we've loved the dark. Thank you that Jesus pays for all of the darkness. Thank you that he became darkness for us that we might have his light. And so for those of us that have, God, I pray that we would so let our light shine before men. That we might be tiny, little insignificant, as it were, in the eyes of the world, lights to expose the beauty of the glory of your son.